episode 22. I don't know if I've said this, but I'm, I've sort of committed myself to doing this for 10 months and, and, uh, and seeing how it goes. I'm not going to talk about Chuck. I have still a couple of stories that, you know, I've got more than a couple, but there's a couple that I want to share about Chuck and uh, I will get back to them. Uh, but I wanted to talk about something. I, I just woke up thinking about this incident after a dream or whatever. So shortly after I became a Christian, you know, after being with the Jesus People's Army and getting home, I believe it was after I had already gotten back into school and I was primarily reading uh, a book the Bible in King James English, which can be difficult, especially for somebody that was somewhat illiterate. You know, I had started reading, like I said, when I was 12, I started reading the Chronicles of Narnia. Somebody had given me this translation of the Bible that was um, Good News Bible. So it was a paraphrased version using the language of of that that era, the 60s and the 70s. It made uh, understanding uh, uh, quite a bit easier, uh, though it wasn't pure in, in its translation. It helped me at my young age to to grasp it, especially if I read it beside the King James Version, if I read them both. And when the, the person that gave me the book um, suggested that I do that. So I did try to do that, though there was times where I would just read the Good News Bible, because it, it really is a labor, or it was for me then, to read that King James English. I was on my own mostly. Um, there was a fellow, Bill Waddell, that I would go see in Black Creek, and he was part of the Jesus People's Army, but had left before I left, and uh, started a movement in Courtney, and it, it, he, you know, he was, anyway, that's, he's interesting. I can give you a really, a lot of stories about him too. And I recently reconnected with him. The, the time that I spent alone, the time that it, it, it taught me uh, a lot of things about um, pursuing God, like digging in, um, meditating on, on scripture, looking at things that God made available to us through the Bible, knowledge, wisdom. Um, so I had to learn to do that. I, I learned on my own pretty well. I, I wasn't totally alone. I did go to youth group at the high school. That was in grade nine, or yeah, grade eight. So that was a year after. So for grade eight and nine, I think, or for grade eight anyway, it was part of the, I think it was called Koinonia, Koinonia Club. Um, met some people there that are still friends. Uh, and one of them knew that, that Bill character, uh, Bill Waddell, that I was talking about. Character. He's, he is a character. <laughs> so, um, we're all characters. I don't know what precipitated it, but at some point, my brother Jonathan and I got into a, a fight, an argument, a disagreement. I'm two years older than him, so at that time... I would have been significantly bigger than him, probably. I can't remember specifics, but and you can't explain these competitions between brothers and sisters. I think it's it's part of human nature, uh, and whatever it was that we were disagreeing about, uh, it got physical. We were we were cutting edge um, examples of living 
existential life um, because of my mother's belief. So we were living an existential type of being. So our, our morality was shifting, uh, our understanding uh, as a family and, and the people we were with and as a culture too. It was a beginning of a big shift. Is the, the, the world, the culture, the young people began to look to, uh, to Nietzsche. Start looking at Nietzsche and you start looking at... Uh, existentialism and existentialism actually leads you to on a path to to nihilism and nihilism means nothing there is nothing worth any there's nothing value, true or valuable the only thing that matters is you so this is something that's perverted our culture now but we were living we were we were initiates my family me and my siblings into that belief system and my mother gave us pretty much liberty to 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 live that way because that's I guess that's what she was pursuing I don't know if she could have articulated it that way or would have articulated it that way at that time but as as the story goes the heat in the heat of our battle Jonathan grabbed that that Bible of mine and he ripped it in half it was a paperback so he ripped it in half and I saw red I was angry. I was going to kill him. So, in the progress of this story, I was in the middle of the kitchen floor with my hands wrapped around Jonathan's neck, calling him every vulgar name I could think of. And believe me, I had a pretty large vocabulary when it came to vulgarities, as did my siblings um, and my parents. My stepfather, anyway. My mom was rarely vulgar with her language. I was going to kill him. I could feel the life draining out of him. And the interesting thing, earlier that day, a man had shown up. He was a hippie type of a guy. Not quite fully immersed, maybe. And he'd been hitchhiking around, and he was from Birmingham, Alabama. And somebody had picked him up in his hitchhiking travels and told him that there was a family up on a commune in Little Qualicum that were from Birmingham, Alabama. And the guy was like, you're kidding. And so he looked us up and he came in and he was, he had been, we had all been visiting with him briefly. And then my mom and Bryce took him for a walk around the, the, the commune. Um, and... So Jonathan and I, and I don't know who, I don't remember Vicky or Joe being around, but Jonathan and I got into this squabble, and uh, it, they came in from their walk around. They probably heard us screaming and yelling, because we were. And the guy grabbed me by the pants and the scruff of the neck and pulled me off of Jonathan and threw me outside. Um, this guy from Birmingham. It was an embarrassment for me as I came to my senses. And I, I, ran, I climbed up into one of, the, uh, one of the fruit trees, I believe it was the, the pear tree, which was quite tall. And Jonathan went outside and was looking for me. He picked up a shovel, a spade, and he was going to kill me. You know, he's walking around the house yelling, Where are you? I'm going to kill you. 
and obscenities, and who knows? I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. <clears throat> so, I just, in the tree, I just started weeping because I recognized my sin, for one, and I recognized the, the hatred we breed in our selfishness. And uh, it was a, it was a, uh, a tough one. Uh, to Jonathan's credit, within a day or two, he had taped my Bible back together and brought it to me and uh, apologized and tried to make amends. So in the same way that we have these intrinsic hatred, anger, selfishness, we have the capacity intrinsically to love because we're created in God's image, to care, to have remorse. Jonathan and I are, I wouldn't say we're estranged, but over the years we've had more than a few incidents that could cause estrangement. We don't speak often. It's cordial when we do. I think there's genuine love between us. <clears throat> That's that. There is one thing, and this does relate to a, to a dream. A another day I woke up and I was remembering, like the Canucks are doing super good this year. Super good. They haven't done this good for decades. Uh, a decade, anyway. 2011, I guess, was uh, when they lost to the Bruins. And I woke up with that on my mind. That final game. Like, what the heck? This It's not, I mean, it, I like hockey. It's not my life. You might think it was, but it's not. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I enjoy watching and I enjoy following a team and believing in a team and watching them grow and succeed. I I enjoy it, it's, and it's it's cool. But for those that would remember, and if you if you don't remember, check it out on YouTube. When when the Canucks lost to the Bruins in Game Seven on home ice, the city erupted. The mob mentality kicked in and the fans began to destroy their city. They broke windows, stole stuff. They weren't all fans because once it started, people that were out on the street were like, oh yeah, I'm going to get me a TV and, you know, <laughs> breaking into London drugs and stealing TVs and, and computers and whatever. Like, people were walking down the street with stuff. Like, what does that have to do with the Canucks? Nothing. You know, it's mob mentality. And there's been studies on mob mentality. So this is, this, this is another one of the intrinsic, sinful nature uh, things of, of man. It, it comes from selfishness. It comes from, it comes from the Garden of Eden. It comes from the, the, the lie from the serpent that you can be God. And, and Adam and Eve going, I can be God. Okay, so I'm taking off and now I'm going to have all the knowledge that, that comes from knowing good and evil. So once that happened, humanity was too young for that information. I believe God would have provided that information anyway, eventually. But we jumped the gun. Now how does that fit? I can talk to you about that. It's pretty amazing. 
The thing is, as I watch what's happening in the world right now, in Germany, in Spain, in France, in Canada, in the U.S., in all over, all over Poland, all over the world, it's easy for someone to fall into the mob mentality. Don't. Don't do it. You know what's good and what's bad. You know what's right and what's wrong. I just saw a thing with Dave Chappelle talking about good and bad. He's speaking at a, at a college or a university, I think. Maybe, maybe I, I don't know. Um, you can look it up. And he talks about the difference and not to forget that there is such a thing as good and such a thing as bad. So in that instant, when the mob is going crazy and they're killing people, look inside and be strong been having uh, a, a lot of dreams lately and they don't necessarily mean dreams don't necessarily mean anything and yet they could mean something uh, on a personal level on a prof prophetic level um, is it talks in I think it's in Joel book of Joel that in the latter days that the young men will see visions and the old men will dream dreams there's an insinuation that the dreams and the visions are prophetic. I've been feeling a lot of uh, separation. Um, there's times in your life or in my life where I feel like I'm close, really close to God. And then there's other times where I feel like there's a distance between me and God. And, uh, you know, so then personally, when I talked to about meditation uh, I meditate on scripture on portions of scripture one of the scriptures of late for the last number of years that I keep returning to is Psalm 139 which is sort of a broad view from a poet's perspective of who God is what his attributes are what his characteristics are it's written by David, King David, who was a poet. He wrote many of the psalms, which are songs and, and poems. As I meditate on that, I understand that I have a poetic bent, that I consider myself a poet or a, a songwriter. And I'm able to dissect it from that perspective. But not only that, from a perspective of understanding what the complete canon of Scripture says about who God is and who we are and how those things work together. Um, at, at the very beginning of this Psalm 139, David says, um, You, O Lord, search me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too great. It's too high. I can't attain it. So, I don't know how much is lost in translation, but this is a recognition that God is... Okay, so there's, there's these these traits of God that we consider communicable, communi communicable, yeah, we can communicate them. We're, 
we're able to uh, understand them because they relate to us, like uh, love and anger, and justice. Those are ju those are things we can personally relate to as individuals. But there's these other attributes of God that are incommunicable, incommunicable. They are things that are peculiar to God, to the true God, to a one God, and that is the the omniscience, the, the all-knowing uh, aspect or perspective of this God. The other is the omnipresence. God is everywhere at the same time. He's all places, all times, all. He's omnipresent. He lives outside of time. He lives, he exists outside of time. He created time. Time is something that he is in but he's out of it he's he's in it in a different way he's not in a gaseous form like we are where we're here and we dissipate he's in it permanently because he's omnipresent and he's omnipotent and he's omni omniscient so he's all-knowing all-powerful and all-present so these incommunicable aspects are pieces of God's character they uh, the, in this psalm they they rip David apart and put him back together again and this is where he says I don't I can't understand it and you hem me in you hem me in he's feeling claustrophobic he's feeling like he has no freedom uh, and he feels you know he, he's sensing that there's more to to his life than he can ever know, but God knows it all. God sees from the beginning to the end. Because God's outside of time, he's in time, he's throughout time. He's omnipowerful, he can, he can change things. He can cause, he has the ultimate cause and even the ultimate effect. And he's, uh, omniscient he knows he knows everything uh, it gets it gets really deep like and I you know again this is one of those things where I would say as a philosopher yeah you gotta look into this stuff as a theologian you gotta look into this stuff as a, as a person you gotta look into this stuff I mean we we talk about each one of us being God and that, that's a, that's a polluted truth it's it's not true it's polluted it's tainted um there is some truth in there but it's not the truth the truth is god okay so i mean we can look at eastern karmic beliefs we can look at beliefs that pantheistic basically all everything's god all things are god um that's a pollution of, of a truth if if there's only one God, if there is a creator God. And I you know, when I talk about it, I'm talking about a triune God, which is even more confusing, but it's one, three and one. The pantheistic view is um, attractive to humanity, and the karmic view is attractive. It takes the pressure of the the one true God off of you to believe it it takes the the truth of uh, your 
of freedom outside of God. Uh, it takes it off the table. And um, so when, when people say, you know, coexist or all, all religions are the same, or they're, they're, ta they're, they're taking pressure off themselves. You know, they can say it's altruistic that they want peace and they want, but in, in, an, in the inner man, if you examine it, if you look at it, and this is the thing you have to question, you have to question everything. If you examine it and you look at it, you will see the truth of one God and the truth of the perversion of a pantheistic view, uh, the truth of a perversion of the karmic view. While yes, while yes, as you sow, you will reap. That's not the basis of God's relationship to man. That's not the. That's that's not. That's works again. You know. So and Jesus came to do a, do away with works, sanctification, works, purification, works, justification. He he did. He he died to do away with it. Now Christianity throughout the history of of, of the of Christianity of the world has a tendency to want to bend to that works theology, that works belief. That I can work my way out of this. You can't. That's where Jesus comes in. That's the ultimate uh, sinless man. man who did no wrong. Dying. And none of us, again, none of us can say we did, we've done no wrong. If you told one lie in your life, if you've coveted one woman, if you've coveted one possession of, of, of somebody else, if you've coveted anything, that, that's an impurity in, to your relationship with God, and that's a sin. That, there, you've got a sin. And once you have one sin, you're a sinner, right? So you want to try and engage one against the other, and that's not really not our job. That's the... Take the take the log out of your own eye before you take the sliver out out of your brother's eye. Anyway, I I'm looking at the world and I'm looking at things and feeling like I'm getting angry. I'm getting angry, and I learned a long time ago, as per my story, my anger accomplishes very little but it's not wrong it's part of my characteristic because I'm created in the image of God anger is not wrong it's, it's how you it's what you do with it it's what you present when angry so uh, anyway in that psalm if you want to read it, if you have any questions I'm here to help you navigate that Psalm 139. And I was reading it in the English Standard Version. It's also good in the New International Version. And it's also good in the New American Standard Bible. Anyway, uh, I'm going to do an old song again. I'm still not singing well. And uh, hopefully next week I've been working on trying to record some stuff and I just can't get the vocals right but hopefully the music's going to be a lot tighter okay see you next time
That I.